Father, Lord, we just come before you tonight, God, and Lord, amen, amen to, uh, to everything that you are, Lord. And Lord, we just ask that you would be here, that you send the Holy Spirit tonight, God, and that you'd fall upon this room, Lord, and Lord, that we would take these things that we learned and, and apply them to our lives, Lord, that your word would be in our heart, Lord, and God, we'd, go, we'd grow closer to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet one another and have a seat. Good. Well, well under the weather. You're good. <laughs> well, if you brought your Bibles to the Bible study, turn in them to Matthew chapter 18 as we continue along <clears throat> in Matthew. Um, if you're new tonight, we've been going through Matthew. We've been looking at Matthew, but we, we've also been incorporating when we can Mark and Luke because when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, it's what's known as the Synoptic Gospels. And all that means is a fancy theological word for seen together. Um, I've titled this series, Be Disciples, because I, I believe that's what the Lord really wants us to do as we, as we go through Matthew and we're reading these things that Jesus did from Matthew's point of view. I've noticed something that Jesus, this whole time, he was discipling these 12 apostles. And he kept them really close, and you notice Jesus would, would do things, and he would turn around and he would explain them to these guys. Or he would, he would give these parables, and if they didn't understand it, he would, he would explain it. And, and just the closeness that they must have had while they were with the Lord, and it's, it's something that I just think would have been just the neatest thing in the world to be with Jesus, um, you know, and sitting around a campfire and talking to him about things, and, you know, getting to listen to him, and not just, you know, talk to him about you know, holy things, but just having a conversation with him. What was that like? What was it like to be, to be close to him? And, G- and the Lord spoke to me and says, you can be. You are, we are close. And we do have that relationship. And so as we get into it, we'll just start in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. says, at the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greater in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as, a little child, a little, become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus always spoke on the kingdom of heaven, and it's, it's where he's from, and I, I just like that, that, that Jesus was always constantly pointing out the kingdom of heaven. And as he, as he went through, um, he would say these things. It's, 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 it's with no doubt that when the disciples were asking this question, they were thinking of a temporal kingdom of Messiah. See, to a Jew, the Messiah 
in the Jewish, a Jew's mind back then was going to overthrow Rome, was going to bring, um, was going to bring sort of the kingdom of David back, the, the glory, the golden age of Israel, and establish the kingdom there. And G- but we see that as, as Jesus was continuing his ministry, Matthew 5.10, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.19, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men, so shall he be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 10, 7-8, Now, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so there's, there's this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And, and like I said for us, I, I imagine these, these apostles that were sitting around and you know, at the time, they, they had that perspective of, you know, all right, great, especially we look at Judas, and we see Judas, one of the reasons we, we assume he probably betrayed Jesus was because Jesus wasn't going to set up his kingdom in Judas's mind. Judas was probably ready for that to happen because Judas wanted to be the right hand of the king, you know, and then he sees Jesus, you know, just not doing that. And so they probably had this improper perspective, but the, the, their perspective got a lot better, um, especially after the cross. And they remembered these things that Jesus said. And that right now, the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God is in our hearts. And it's in our behaviors towards one another. And how we treat people. And it, it, it makes me think, you know, when I, I keep on saying this, and I, I keep on banging on this point, but it's the goodness of, goodness of God that leads the, that leads the sinner to repentance. And one day, literally, the kingdom of heaven will be on earth. And, and we look forward to that. And we're looking forward to either, either we go to be, the Lord calls us to be with him one day when we pass, or maybe we'll be raptured. And, you know, and if you read the book of Revelation, we'll be back, we'll come back with the Lord and, um, and Armageddon and all this, and he'll establish his thousand-year reign. And, and that's wonderful. I can't wait for all that. But right now, we are part of the kingdom of heaven. And, and something that the Lord has shown me is, is, the, is having the um, aspect of be, or having the mind of being eternal. Being an eternal-minded individual. Understanding that everything you do right now is, is, is going to have a carryover into, into, the, into your eternal life. And I think that's why God wants us to reach people. I think that's why God wants us to reach our families and disciple them. But the apostles, they wanted to know who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom. Even if they had a, mis- a misunderstanding of what the kingdom was, Jesus is getting them there. And so what does he say? He says, you have to be like a child. And what is it about children? Children are not threatening. We aren't afraid of meeting a five-year-old in a dark alley when we have a tough, intimidating presence. We aren't like Jesus. You know, you're walking down a dark alley and you see a five-year-old. Okay, hey, what's going on? What are you doing in this dark alley? You know, children are not good at deceiving. They're, they are pretty miserable failures at fooling their parents. You know, when we are good at hiding ourselves and deceiving others, we aren't being like Jesus. The child is held, is held up as an ideal, not of innocence, purity, or, um, or faith, but of humility and uncertain or social status. Jesus knew we must be converted to be like children. It isn't in our nature to take the low place and humble ourselves. 
And honestly, it probably shocked them when Jesus did this. Because to a Jew, a child was, you know, until a child, I mean, even, even in the Jewish tradition, you have your bar mitzvah, and then you be, you're considered an adult. But before that, you know, you're, you're considered to be quiet, right? You're considered, you know, go take the trash out or, or go, go walk the ox, or I don't know what they do. But, you know, it was, a very, it was a very farming community. So they probably plowed the field. And you know what it makes me think of is, is you look at King David. If you go back, what happened when... Um, was a Samuel, he goes, he, God tells Samuel to go anoint the next king of Israel because he rejected Saul. He goes and he looks at all the, all the brothers. He didn't, they didn't tell David to come there. David was, out, was off uh, being a shepherd. It just shows, you know, they didn't, they, he wasn't even considered to be, to be in anything important. But God sees the heart. And God, God, said, God wants us to be like children because as a child, fathers, if you're if you've been paying attention since chapter 1 of what the things I've been saying, is that, you, is that you're over your household. And you're over your, you're over your household spiritually. And, you're, and God expects you to lead your family uh, and, and grow them spiritually. And maybe, maybe you're in a situation where you don't, there's not a husband or not a father, and you're the mother, and you're expected. That, that falls upon you. But as you lead them, what happens? If you tell, your, if you tell a five-year-old there's God... It's, it's, I'll just say it's highly unlikely that God's going to be like, prove it. Or maybe he will do that, actually. But, you know, he, a, a five-year-old is more likely to take your word for it. And he'll, and he'll accept what you say because, because you lead him in these things. Child, childlike belief is true and it is pure. Child is humble. It's not false humility. But it's, it's the way they are. Humble, um, humbles himself does not refer to a phony false modesty, but the acceptance of an inferior position. And, it, and you go to um, Philippians chapter 2, 8, that verse it says, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Again, the aspect of you have Jesus uh, in, our, in our small group on Saturday. We're in Second Corinthians, and we're talking about giving and um, and the joy, you know, and, and just the joy in it. Paul, had, uh, Paul was boasting about the church in Macedonia at the time, saying they, they really would above and beyond their means to give. And we're looking, and, you know, as I'm, as, as I'm explaining giving, and, like, why do we do it? Because the reality is I, th- I think we, what, we give, like, 10%. You know, we do that based on what the, the Jewish tradition of, hopefully you know that, we, we, we you typically we tithe based on the 10% we get that from the Jews. They would do that to support the tribe of Levi. But the reality is there's no, there's no s- specific commandment, you know, as far as like, you know, you were, you were as in the church are required to tithe this amount, you know. No, I think it's expected by the Lord. But, it's, but as, as we were talking about that, it's just funny to me because it's like, it makes a lot of sense. It's not, not just, you know, it's not just giving, but it's just the aspect of, of being a born-again believer and the follower of Christ. I think giving is just one of the things that we do naturally as, as Christians. I'm not just saying, you know, money or whatever. You know, giving your time and discipleship, pouring into a young life because you lived your life and you have these amazing experiences is a form of giving. But we look at giving, and whatever it is, we look at giving, and we look at who's the example? Well, Jesus. For God, so loved the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and that's the perfect example. And that's, God, Christ gave everything. Everything that he had. He, he stepped down from glory, and I don't think we'll, we'll be able to um, fully ever fathom 
how Jesus, staying at the right hand of power, being the Lord of creation, was able to step down and, and step into humanity. Children do not try to be humble, but they are so. And the same is the case with really gracious, uh, with really gracious persons. The, the imitation of humility is sickening. The reality is attractive. It was Charles Spurgeon. <clears throat> when someone, it's, I watched, I listened to this podcast, and I watched this one podcast, this guy Jocko Wilkins, and if you've ever seen this man, he's just a silverback gorilla of a guy. Like, this guy is gigantic. He's a Navy SEAL, and if you know anything about the SEALs, what they go through, it's really intense and just crazy training, um, what they have to go through. And, and, and if, you, like, if you see him, You'd probably be in, if, if he was walking down a dark alley and you didn't know who he was, you'd probably hide behind a trash can. Like, you know, he's, he has that. But, but at the same time, it's funny to listen to him when he, when he talks about leadership because he talks about being humble. And the military, for me, is one of those things because the best leaders in the military, with, with, with all their big badness and all these things they're capable of, and, you know, being trained to, to kill and defend the Constitution or whatever— the best leaders in the military are humble men. They're able to subordinate their egos. They're able to put aside their pride for the betterment of the platoon. And I love that because a platoon, the strength of a platoon comes within the relationship, not only in the chain of command of the military, but within the strength of each other and their ability and their, and their fellowship that they have with one another. And that makes me think of spiritual warfare, and that makes me think of us Christians. I think Jesus, I think people will see Jesus by the way we treat one another. And if we're in spiritual warfare, it's not an individual warfare. There's no lone wolves. There's no individual recon rangers out there fighting the devil. But we're, we're, we're together in this. And it takes humility. And it's, isn't it not, you know, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, learn to be the servant of all. And that's where he's trying to get his, his, his guys to think. We know that one man was actually the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus Christ. This means that Jesus himself was humble like a child. He wasn't concerned about his own status. He didn't have to be the center of attention. He could, he could not deceive, and he didn't have an intimidating presence. Excuse me. A heart change that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit through discipleship. It's funny because if you read Mark 9, 33 through 37, um, you see that they know it was a dumb argument. Let me turn there really quick. Mark chapter 9. Sorry. Verse 33 says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest, who would be the greatest. So it's funny, like he's saying, hey, what, what were you guys talking about? And they were like embarrassed by it. One good, one good indication to know if it's probably a dumb conversation, if it's embarrassing to repeat, right? But they, they, knew, they knew it was kind of, you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this. Matthew chapter 18, 6 through 9 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, speaking of being like a child, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. 
Um, it is better for you to enter into the life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hellfire. After, after service, we got, we got an axe and some, no, I'm kidding. Before you do, please don't cut your hands off and poke your eyes out. Mark 9:40 in Mark chapter 9 Jesus in this in this same conversation Mark chapter 9:42 through 48 says but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea if your hand causes you to sin cut it off the same thing we just read it is better for you to enter into life man rather than having two hands and go to hell into the and into fire that, that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life uh, lame rather than having two feet and to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's interesting to me that he says you're a worm if you cause these little ones to stumble. Is that what he's tying there? I don't know. I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't ever want to think about specifically me going to hell and it, and it, and it kind of speaks of Jesus says it'd be better for you if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were and you were thrown into the Mediterranean. And it speaks of is there the possibility of having different punishments in hell? I don't know. I can't imagine. This is Sean speaking. I can't imagine you know someone who just never really accepts the Lord and goes to hell will be in the same kind of punishment as Adolf Hitler. But you know what? I don't want to know. I don't want to be an expert on hell. I don't want to be an expert on demonology or any of that. Because, you know, I tried to be an expert on that in my lifestyle before I became born again. And it just didn't work out. But I want to be, I want to be like a child. I want to be, I, want to, I just want to, man, I just want to please Jesus when it comes down to it. Nothing, nothing excites me more in this world than going before the Lord one day and having him say, job well done, my good and faithful servant. In my house are many mansions. I've, I go to prepare a place for you. The point is, if Jesus' nature is as a child, and he treats not just children seriously, but also little ones that are new in the Lord seriously, then we need to as well. And I think, again, that's, that, that's a form of discipleship, and I think, again, that starts in our family. If the Lord looks at your children very seriously, and if you mislead them, Especially, you know, if you mislead them purposely and, and or you don't, you, don't, you don't take them to church or you're not leading them in devotions, I'm here to tell you tonight that the Lord takes that seriously. And he wants you to reach them. And, and especially, um, especially in this world where we, take our, we just kind of take our kids to church, but we don't really pour into them. And then we wonder why they get to, you know, college. Not everybody, but they get to college and they're being misled. My dad says, raise your children in the way they should go, or the world will lead them in the way that they think they should go. And so we, 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 I think disciples and discipleship starts in the house. And if God is tasking the men to represent, the, you know, to represent him, if, if being a man is a representation of Christ to the, in the, uh, to the church, he probably takes marriage very seriously. And if it's better that a millstone is cast around a neck than to, than to lead a little one astray, then he probably, he probably is speaking to us so that we can lead our families. in this. Because it says, 
It says in the Bible, uh, raise a child in the way they should go, in the end he will not depart from it. And to raise a child in the way they should go, and I've said this before, is not just, you know, like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll give them a Bible study and, you know, I'll just tell them to make really good tax decisions in life and he'll be all right. You know, it's nothing like that. It's, it's to know and have an intimacy of knowing what your child's strengths and your child's weaknesses are. And to have that relationship. And the only way you can have that real relationship because, I mean, you could be a father and have no clue. You could be a father, uh, you know, there every night and not have, a, have any idea what your children are like. Am I wrong? There are, I mean, I'm sure we, we know, we've known people like that. But it's to have that intimacy to know, yeah, uh, I think we were just talking about this in there, uh, Sean and I, you know, David and, and Jonathan, you know, they're all good things, guys. But, uh, you know, knowing their strengths, knowing their weaknesses, and raising them in that, you know, and and, it, and, 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 and as you raise them in that, they fall back on that because, because they've, been, well, they've been raised in the, right, in the right manner. And the Lord takes that very seriously. And that's where it starts. It's a wicked thing to sin. And it's a far greater evil to lead others into sin. But leading one of Jesus' little ones into sin is far worse because then you initiate someone into, the, into an instant an instance or a pattern of sin that corrupts whenever innocence, whatever innocence they had. I think of the things that I've seen in life that, that, that led me to sin. And you know, whatever, I, 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 you know, I've, I've made my decisions in life and I've gone through them and the Lord has, has absolutely allowed me to suffer the consequences of my sin. I'm saved by grace. I'm going to heaven. And, you know, it's amazing to me that I'm even up here teaching but I just say obedient. But to lead someone, hopefully none of you have ever done that, or hopefully none of you will ever have to do that. And if you're leading them, leading them lead them in the path of righteousness. If God promised to deal with those who offend his own, it shows that he defends and protects his own. That teaches us that Jesus Christ, no other person can wreck our life. If they, if they bring offense in our life, God will deal with them but not forsake us in time or eternity. Or eternity. I think as believers, we'll, we'll answer to, to our king. I can imagine when, 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 we, when we get to heaven, you know, job well done, I think you say, you know, I gave you, Sean, I gave you 80-something years. I don't know how long to live, but let's talk about that. I gave you, I gave you a wife. Let's talk about that. I gave, you, I gave you children. You know, let's talk about that. And, and if you, I think it's one of the falls along the lines in discipleship of being eternally minded. But also as, if, as you're being eternally minded and understanding that the Lord wants to talk to you about these children one day. Well, he wants to talk to you about these children now. So we need to interact. And that's just, that's just the nature of God. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as you commune with the Lord, as you commune with God, and you have that relationship, like Jesus says, when you fast, when you pray, when you're in the Word, not because it's some law, not because we have to do it, but because we love the Lord and we want a relationship with Him as we grow that. It's the nature of God. <clears throat> the nature of God to be in fellowship and to be discipling. We, as, as I receive freely, so I give freely, and that's discipleship. And so we lead Little ones, whether they're brand new in the Lord or there are little children, in the way they should go. We are we are to deal decisively with sin. 
So we can look at, a lot of people can look at this um, verse where it says, cut off your hand and pluck out your eye, and be like, you know, this is why Christianity is kind of ridiculous. Because if we're taking the Bible literally, isn't this kind of, kind of extreme? And yeah, absolutely. Please don't cut your hands off or poke your eyes out. If you do, don't do it here. But it's not what the Bible's saying. Is, is The Bible here, the Lord here, is not saying cut your hand off. He's, he's saying deal decisively with, with what's causing you to sin. Is your phone causing you to sin? Cut that off. Is your, is your computer causing you to sin? Cut that off. Is going to certain places causing you to sin? Stop going to those places. It's to deal decisively with your sin, the things that we need to cut out of our lives. And it's, it's something very real, because what, we know what's causing us to sin. We know what, what path and, and, and what we ought to be going down in life, and, and the things that, like being an alcoholic, going into a bar because you want to minister to people is probably a bad idea. Going into a bar is probably something you need to cut off, cut off of your life. And you can, name the, you can name the sin, but that's what the Lord is saying here. Verse 10, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountain to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Brings up an interesting um, point here, the um, the Lord saying in verse 10, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Brings up the idea of guardian angels. If in fact there's guardian angels, I have a really strong feeling that when I get to heaven, he's just going to take a giant swing at me. <laughs> like, you know, like he's really mad. But I don't know for I don't know for sure. David Guzik, I like what he says. He says this is often taken as a reference to guardian angels. We certainly do have angels walking over us and ministering to us. Hebrews one fourteen says, "Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister?" Um, for those who will inherit salvation. But there's no need to limit to one specific guardian angel. If God is all-powerful and, and all-knowing, he's, he knows what's going on. He's capable to send, you know, to send spirits. And so maybe, maybe there's a guardian angel. I don't know for sure. This is one of those things we'll probably, you know, this is one of those things we'll definitely find out in heaven. But you have a saving God in you. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. So whether or not you need an angel specifically, I don't know. Jesus says right here, be careful how you treat these little ones because they see the face of God. But you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus loves you and will come for you. I know this because he did it to me. It is a specific love, not just because he is God, and I guess I have to love Sean, but a, a protective love. A protective you are mine and I'll even die for you kind of love. It's a personal. Um, share it. It's an individual love. It's a patient love. It's a seeking love. It's a rejoicing love. It's a protecting love. 
there was a um, there was a song going around for a while called the Reck- reckless love of God and a bunch of but you know really upset a lot of Christians you know God's love is not reckless and like God turned around and knocked you over on accident right oh I'm so sorry I love you so much I didn't mean to do that but <laughs> and, and you know whatever I I get it. But, like, a verse in that song is, it talks about leaving the 99 to get one, and I was that one that went astray. Because I, I really grew up believing, you know, I, I believed all this. I, I've been in Calvary Chapel, Ontario since second grade. I think Sean's the closest one in here that's known that. And then we became Chuna Valley, and then back to Ontario. And I believed this stuff. I, in fact, I knew this stuff great. I mean, you, 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 you pour anything into a child, his whole, adult, his whole um, child life into adulthood, he's going to know it. I mean, if you're in the cars, your son's probably going to be in the cars, right? But if, if your parents give you devotions, you know, twice a day, except for when they're at church, sometimes even when, you're, when you did go to church, it's going to be in your heart. <clears throat> and I believed it, but then, you know, I turned 18, and for some reason I believed in alcohol. And I believed in all these things, and they were just absolutely, the best way I can describe the drugs, the alcohol, and that lifestyle was, it sucks your soul away. After a night of, doing, of, of sinning or doing those things, the best, the best way I could describe it is it felt like a part of my soul was missing. And if you've ever, if you've ever done anything like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I've always thought, I got to a point where I would think in my head, Lord, I, I know you love me because you're God. You know, God has to love me. He's God. You know, that's just what he does. And, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced you love my parents 10,000 times more than you love me. Because my dad's a pastor. My mom's the pastor's wife. And so I believe that one day if, if I died and I was lucky enough, I'd get to heaven and God would be like, oh, hey, Sean, great. Why don't you go in the back, you know? You know, there's a shack up there for you. I guess I have to love you. And then I got to a point in my life where I got to the point in my life where it was so bad that I, I thought about suicide. And the only reason why I didn't was because I didn't want to go to hell. Which, I mean, praise God, you know, that that, that was in me. And I, was, I just didn't know. I, and I just, I just, I was convinced my idea of, of fellowship with God was that I just kind of annoyed God. Like, oh, Sean, I love you, but man, I don't like you. Which, by the way, I've heard that in the church before. You know, God says to love him, not to like him. I get it. I don't like that. I can't imagine you get to heaven and the Lord says, I love you, but I don't like you. I, obviously, I don't think we're going to, you know, you, people, you know, people bug us, right? You know, like, you, you our own friends will bug us for breathing wrong sometimes, right? You know, be like, can you stop? You know, someone might say something wrong, and you're just like, I just don't like that person. You know, and, and so, but that's why the relationship, that's where the kingdom of God comes in. That's where the Beatitudes take, take a hold and change a person's life. That's when they see, but you, you, keep, you keep loving me. But in my head, I, d- I didn't want to commit suicide because I didn't want to go to hell. And I, I got to the point where I just asked God, I was like, if you love me, if, if or, when, or when I die, please just make me stop existing. I don't want to exist anymore. I was so empty. I, I have damaged myself enough, and I've completely rejected everything that, that even though I know it, I just don't care. This life is so empty for me. 
And I got to that point, and, and, and as I got to the end of myself in that, in like, you know, getting drunk at parties and, and, and trying to preach drunk, because just because I knew the language, because I knew the lingo, being blasphemous. And I got to the end of myself where my parents, my mom was just like, please come back. I was in Arizona. And she said, please come back. And then my sister said, don't move in with mom and dad. You'll hate that. <laughs> we have a pool house. And I went to the pool. And so I moved in my sister's pool house in Yucca Valley. And from there, I went to uh, Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel. And I just, again, barely approached the idea that maybe God loved me again. And I was just flat on my face. Every, every, sun, every Sunday, I would stay there for first service. In fact, the, the security at the church, this guy Grumpy, who's a, who's a chaplain who packs, you know, a pistol at church, was watching me. He said, you look, he talks like this. He says, you look like something you scraped off the road. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. One of the mentors in my life. Seriously. But... As I was there, the Lord spoke to me once. This guy named Stephen White, who now serves at Wildwood Calvary Chapel, he comes up to me. He's like, look, I know this is really basic, and I don't get it, something along those lines, but God just wanted me to come up to you and say that he, he, he loves you and you're going to heaven. He did, to him, he's, he like, I think he was like, why, would it, why do you want me to tell him that? Like, you know, obviously he knows that. No. I mean, I did know. I knew what the Bible said, but I didn't know that. Until Steve came up and was faithful and said that to me. That's why discipleship's important. And I'll tell you, in that moment, I was just destroyed. I was slain. And like the very next week, this lady comes up to me and she says, the Lord just wants me to give you this verse, Zephaniah 3.17. And the Lord, the verse says in Zephaniah 3.17, and maybe you're struggling with God's love to you, to you and I just want you to know this verse, this verse is speaking to you tonight. It may take faith for you to believe that, but I, I have no, absolutely no doubt in my mind this verse is speaking to you tonight. The Lord your God is in your, midst, in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. God spoke to me right then when, that verse, when he gave me that verse, saying, Sean, not, not only, I, you're ridiculous. I love you so much. Not only, you know, it's, I, I, not only do I love you, Sean, I like you. I will rejoice over you with gladness. I am thrilled beyond belief about you. I will quiet your, your, blas- your blasphemy and nonsense and your, and your disobedient heart and your, and your sin with my love. And that was shown on the cross. But even now it's shown in, in, in the servant giving me this verse says that he will rejoice over me with singing. That's funny because we always worship the Lord. We sing to God. Like, is that what we do? God's not singing, worshiping us at all. Like, don't take that. But he's singing over us. I can't imagine how that sounds like, but he's singing over us. And I can't imagine that kind of relationship. But now I can. And so I think back to what the, the apostles had. And through this verse as I'm reading that, that's what you have, guys. And that's why it's important to share that to other people. That's why, because people come here and they're hurting. People come here and they could be here and it could be their very last moment on earth. Maybe they're barely holding on. 
And maybe God's just telling you, go speak to that person and tell them I love them and they're going to heaven. Because that may be the difference. Also keep in mind that Jesus will treat his people as well as us the same. He is going after his people, the Jews, and they will come to him. Zephaniah 3.17 is is a letter of, of prophecy to the Jews. Us being grafted in into, the, into um, the promises of the Jews. This verse applies to you. Matthew 18, picking up at verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if, if he will not hear, take with you uh, one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him, be, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them, rejoicing over you with gladness, quieting you with his love, and rejoice over your singing. We have Jesus and we have each other, and Jesus wants that relationship. But in those relationships, as we're, tr- as we're trying to you know, behave like children, and by the way, not, not being mature like children, you know, but, you know, having the childlike likeness nature of God towards each other. Like I said, we can even, you know, we can get annoyed at each other for the dumbest things, you know, like, you know, David stands wrong or what, you know what I mean? Just like, like the, but we can, but we can, ser- in all seriousness, we can do things to one another because we're selfish sinners. And it could be that we're doing something and it's a sin. And Jesus, Jesus addresses how this is to be addressed. It is essential that we go to the offending brother first, not griping and gossiping to others, especially under the guise of sharing a prayer request or seeking counseling. Instead, speak to the party directly. If you know I'm, I'm you, know, you know, shooting up heroin in the bathroom and, and teaching, I mean, that might be kind of a drastic thing. But, you know, I'm doing something sinful. I'm not shooting heroin. But I'm, I'm doing something sinful. And, and it's not an excuse to go, you know, Sean, let me share with you this prayer request and then spread, spread gossip that way. Maybe you witnessed me out in town doing something wrong or whoever. Don't, don't come back and be like, we, we need to pray for Pastor Mike. You know, he was street racing up, in, up by the airport or I don't know, whatever he does. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's a sin. But, but the point is you go up to him directly. It's not an excuse to gossip. It's not an excuse to go to somebody because you are constantly offended all the time. We can see that Jesus gives us two options with your brother, when your brother sins against you. You can go to him directly and deal with it. Or you can drop the matter under the Christian long-suffering and bearing with one another. Other options, holding on to bitterness, retaliation, gossiping to others about the problem, are not allowed. You know, it's, it's a constant struggle. To, to live life, right? We're in, we're in warfare. We're in spiritual warfare, no matter what side of the fence you're on, 
no matter what side of the spiritual warfare you're on. So every day you get up, what is, Paul says in Romans 12, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. What, you know, if we're on that altar, what is an altar doing? An altar's on fire. And what is our flesh doing? Our flesh is burning. And in that, we don't like to burn. We don't like to be told we're, we're wrong. We don't, like, we don't like to be humbled. We don't like to subordinate our ego. But that may happen, and it may happen to where, you know, I don't know. I don't want to bring this up to him. Well, if you're not willing to bring it up to him, bring it up to the Lord and be quiet. Don't share that gossip. Don't slam the person. But if it's overwhelming you, pray about it and go to him and be like, listen, you know, Sean, Pastor Mike, I saw you street racing, and I just don't think you ought to be breaking the law like that. You know, it just doesn't seem right. And, you know, maybe my dad will be like, you know, so please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And maybe be like, Okay, sucker, let's go take it to the street. No, but, because <laughs> my dad says that. But, uh, <laughs> but I know, I think my dad even said it this morning. If he's wrong, he's the first one to admit it. And that's our attitude. And that's what, that's what that be, being a child is, and, and what the Lord's asking us to be, is to accept these things. It's that, yeah, I'm wrong, but I don't want to be wrong. I want to be better. It's to gain a brother because we need each other in this, guys. We need each other. We, you may think you, you're, you're better off alone, but you're not. But for some of you, I'm not saying everyone has to be um, extroverts where you're just like, oh, I love everybody because I'm not like that even. I'm kind of in the middle. This is weird. Like, it, it's either people take a hard line, I don't want to be around people, and I find, my, um, I find my peace and my strength being alone, or it's the exact opposite, and they're like, I need, like, I need, I need the whole city of Ontario around me because like, I draw my strength from just individuals in my life. For some reason, I go back and forth. There's times where I just need to be alone with the Lord or myself or whatever, but there's times where I'm like, I need people, and don't you know, hang out with people. But either way, we're going to be around people. And so I realize what I'm saying is that you may, you may find your strength in alone, but God wants you to be with people. Because this is a people thing. Because God stepped off his throne to be with people. Eternity is not just going to be you and Jesus. I mean, that's all you're probably going to see is the Lord. You know, I get that. That's wonderful, and that's, that's pretty to say and all that. But there's going to be other people there. If he hears you, you gain your brother. You have gained him in, in two ways. First, the problem has been cleared up. Perhaps you realize that he was right in some ways, and he realized you were right in some ways, but the problem is resolved. Second, you have gained him because you have, you have not wronged your brother by going to others with gossip and half the side of the dispute. Importantly, Jesus did not say that your brother must agree with you or immediately repent before you. At first, it is enough that he hears you. The point is we need to be with each other. The point is we need to be iron sharpening iron. And it, that kind of speaks like competitiveness. Um, I remember when uh, I got into snowboarding really hard in jun- my junior and, s- and senior year of high school. And I was super, like, into skateboarding right before that. And so, and, you know, it was just kind of along the same genre of, of you know, of, of that lifestyle. And so my friend Eric and I, would, we went snowboarding, like, four times a week up to Mount Baldy. It was exhausting. But, man, we loved it. And we, we, just, we just immediately were good at it. We weren't that good. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm just like a pro. That would been awesome. But... But, like, the way we pushed each other, well, I just, he just, I remember we were sitting up there, and Eric, I, no, I think I did. I think I went for it, and I did a jump. It must have looked terrible, but to me, I, I landed, and I was like, yeah, dude. 
And then he said he saw me, and he's like, well, I'm not going to be you know, outdone by Sean. And then he did the jump, and I, that's what iron sharpens iron. You find that in the military. You find that in life. It's, I can speak as a man because I know that because us guys, when we see something, we want to be better. We want to be good. We push each other, but that's what Christ wants us to do. I don't know what you ladies do, to be honest. I can't. I have no idea. Same thing? Okay, good. But, you know, it's just our nature. We want to be better. And it's, it's not just like, I mean, it can be pride. Don't let it be pride. But it could also be like, yeah. Lord, that, that, you, know, sh- sh- you know, this person did this for you. I want that too. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some of the things that he did, Lord. And, I, I, you know, and then you, we get better. He wants us to be better. It's in that relationship. It's as we move forward and people will see in discipleship the goodness of God. And they will want to be a part of that. If he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. The circle of people in a situation only, become, only becomes wider as the offending party refuses to listen. If the stubborn, unrepentant attitude remains, they are to be, ref, they are to be refused fellowship. Let them be like a heathen. It is also true that one or two more, after hearing both sides of the story, may resolve the issue by assigning responsibility differently than the first offending person had. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him, right? The first, Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, the first one to plead his cause seems right until the neighbor comes and examines him. And so when you get to the point where there's two or more, maybe, maybe you're not approaching it correctly and someone else can hear that. And that's why I like the Bible. It's very common sense. You know, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, we're needing to get someone involved, but maybe you're still kind of wrong. We, you know, and it's the point we're not coming to judge. You know, we're coming to judge in the fact that, look, we just don't want the sin to exist anymore in your life, brother. But maybe as you're acute, maybe as I'm bringing someone else into the situation because so-and-so is being a stubborn, unrepentant sinner, maybe I'm wrong in misunderstanding about something, and I can't see that because all I see is this, but that other person can. And God will reveal that in that. <clears throat> the goal must be the restoration of, of relationship more than the proving of oneself being right. That's what it's about. It's about relationship. Jesus didn't just, even to the scribes and the Pharisees, it wasn't just so Jesus could say, I'm better than you, I'm right. No, he, he was heartbroken over them. He was broke, heartbroken that they were, they were leading little ones astray. Keep in mind, some of these Pharisees went on to be fantastic born-again believers. Saul became Paul. Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A lot of Pharisees became born-again believers because of, the, because of um, the example of Jesus. Although it is a very unwise thing to interfere in quarrels, yet from this text it is clear that we should be willing to be one of the two or three who are to assist in, in settling a difference. It was said by Spurgeon. So as a born-again believer, if, if like Sean Turner or whoever, Kyle, whatever, someone comes up to you and says, you know, tells you the situation... You need, to, you need to keep it in that situation. You need to keep whatever, you know, Pastor Mike do, is doing. You know, I'm just using him as an example. I'm not saying my dad's a sinner. He is a sinner, but you know what I mean. You need to keep it between you two. Hey, we, you know, okay, yeah, let's pray about it. Let's, let's see what God wants us to do. Yeah, you know what, Sean, but before we go, I, I just think you need, this, you need this correction. Let's go here. You know, and then you hear what Pastor Mike has to say and be like, yeah, okay, look, okay, this is, it's the point of, of establishing the relationship for, for the proper um, right fellowship within the church with the Lord Jesus. Not to say, I'm right, 
because that's pride. Like a heathen and a tax collector, the unrepentant one must be treated just as we should treat a heathen or a tax collector, with great love, with the goal of bringing about a full, uh, a full repentance and reconciliation. So if the matter cannot be resolved in one then one is to be regarded like a heathen and a tax collector. This sense of being refused full standing and participation in the body of Christ is what Paul meant when he said to deliver such a one to Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-8 through 8 said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such, se- and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. What was going on is even worse than like, there's temples in, in Greece where you could go buy prostitutes. So there was things going on in the Corinth church that was worse than that. So what Paul is saying, that a man has his father's wife. That's just gross. And you are puffed up and not, not mourned that, that he who, do, who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as, as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with, with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. They, they were very proud of the fact that, look how forgiving we intolerant we are of sin. Kind of reminds us of some of the church today. We look, you know, hyper grace, tolerating anything. That is not good. Do you, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven being a picture of sin. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Is there something you're looking at that's causing you to sin? Cut it off. Pluck it out. Get rid of that whatever is doing it. Now, please don't manipulate. Or manipulate. <laughs> whatever the word is, don't cut yourself. Whatever. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with sin, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And we know, we know uh, I believe in Second Corinthians even says it, we know that that man came back. He was in the world, he was out of that fellowship, and, he, he, and it worked and that's a very extreme situation that's a very extreme like just absolutely denying denying wanting to be wanting to be repented that's a prideful heart that is not being like a child is not being christ-like god forbid we ever have to deal with that but if we do church i want you especially those that come to sunday nights and know to know what to do you know if you feel like god's pressing on your heart to talk somebody be in prayer about it then go approach them in love Genuinely wanting that brother or that sister to come to repentance and be in right standing relationship with the Lord. And if they're not going to hear you, bringing someone else involved, involving someone else. And then if you're that someone else, to keep it to yourself, this is not an opportunity to gossip, but it's an opportunity to show love. And at the very worst, if, he, if, he's, if he's asked not to come back and let, and let God deal with him. And that's an extreme, and I can't imagine that will ever come to that, but we know what to do in the meantime. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. If this process is done humbly and according to the word, this is quite binding in the eyes of God. Even the unrepentant ones just even the unrepentant ones just go to another church. The binding and loosening uh, 
It's an exercise judgment on conduct. Here specifically, treating sin as a pardonable or the reverse. Each church has the keys of its own door. When those keys are rightly turned by the assembly below, they act as the, the act is ratified above. When we're in the, wor- the will of God as a church, then we'll behave in such a manner. And we're doing these things in love, and as we're, as we're, as we're, as we're obediently listening to the Holy Spirit, it's the idea that, that God has your back in this judgment. You know, again, not that we're judging or condemning, condemning the hell. No, we're, preve- we're preventing leaven from leavening this body, from getting in these doors. Again, we're in spiritual warfare, and we should be guarding and treating this place as precious. Again, I say to you that if two, of, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. There is real power in agreement in prayer and in the presence of Jesus. This is exactly what the unrepentant one misses out on. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We must take advantage of the power of agreement, which works on the principle related in Leviticus 26.8. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. It shows us that, no, that large numbers um, in what's going on are not essential, where two or three are gathered. It shows us that the rank of people is not essential. It shows us that a particular place is not essential. A particular time is not essential. It shows us a particular form of the meeting should, not, uh, sh- uh, should take is not essential. We are gathered in the name of Jesus. Gathering together in the name of Jesus means that we are known by him and by his name. Gathering together in the name of Jesus means that he, he, is, he is our point of gathering. Is why we gather. Gathering together in the name of Jesus according to the character and the nature of Jesus, being like a child. Gathering together in the name of Jesus means gathering in a manner that Jesus would endorse. I am there in the midst of them. And that's what we want, guys. That's why we meet here. That's why we, we don't allow sin in, our, in here. And it can seem mean that, you know, we don't tolerate this or we don't tolerate that. And it could be like, well, you're judging, but we're not. We, we, I believe, just want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to pursue those things that are holy. And we want to see them as we pursue the things that are holy in our relationship with Jesus. We want to pursue what is holy in our relationship with other people. And that starts in discipleship. Why? Because Zephaniah 3.17. Because he rejoices over you. Because he quiets you with his love. And because he sings over you. This morning, my dad was talking about how we don't take a stand, a hard stand on Calvinism or or Arminianism. Man, I just take a stand on the Lord. I don't know about all that. I know I know God called me by my name, and I know that I know that the Lord, the Lord called me by name. It's like I picture going. I picture as I ran as hard as way I could, and I convinced myself that God doesn't love me, and I'm just running with that fact in my head—not a fact, but in my head, a fact. As I'm running away from the Lord, the Lord's like, absolutely not. And he came after me and said, look how much I love you. And maybe he's doing that to you tonight. In in, in all honesty, I'm not just trying to say the bright pastor thing. I think maybe for some of you, there's something going on in your life where you're just not convinced of the love of God. Maybe that makes you angry. 
Maybe that's bringing you to an awkward emotional, you know, feeling in, your, in, your, in this situation right now. But just know that no matter how you're feeling, the Lord loves you. Agape love is a sacrificial love, but Jesus also emotionally loves you. And he wants to show that, but he wants to show that through the way that we treat one another. And you know what? I'll fail. My dad will fail at it. The Turins probably won't. They're, re- they're very loving. But, you know, the reality is we'll, we'll fail at it, but we keep on doing it. And isn't that a family? As we keep failing in our relationship with each other, I'm sure you've been mad at your husband. I'm sure your husband's been wrong before, right? Not you, but your husband's been wrong before. But that's, you know, but that's love, is that we get better, and we get strength, and those bonds strengthen us. And that's what, that's what Christianity is. It's, it's loving the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then pouring that love onto other people, and that's what the world needs. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you once again, Lord, and I just ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would show, as you showed us your love tonight, that we would apply these things, that we, take ser- that we would take it seriously when we need to address a, a, a person that's in sin, that it wouldn't be an opportunity to gossip, but God, that we would have your eyes and your ears and your tongue to be able to restore people. Lord, you're the God that restores you, restored me to salvation. And maybe you're here and, and, you're, and you're struggling with that and you're struggling with, 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 with God's love, but you really, you, 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 know, you know that, that he's saying that to you tonight. That awkward, that awkward feeling or that angry feeling and that, that emotional reaction that you're having is, is, is coming from you because you know the truth is piercing your heart. And if that's you tonight, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. And in this moment, if, if, you're, if you're really struggling... Just call upon the name of the Lord. Take Zephaniah 3.17 to him and let it be true to you. And Father, as whoever it is that's struggling with that, please meet him tonight and please open our eyes to whoever it is, Lord, that we may love on them, Lord, and that they would see your goodness and that we would, we would continue to come to you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd all stand, please.